Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Um, speaking of summer, this August we're going to be digging into our mission vision statement, um, the three articles that we have in that. So a couple of years ago we sat down together as a staff team, pastoral leaders, um, other key leaders, board, and said, in this time of transition, what do we really want to be all about? And we formulated our mission statement that we read every week um, that Herman read for us today. It was actually a pretty smooth process. There was really minimal crying, uh, no no fist fights. We, there was a lot of consensus and unity about, you know what? This is what feels right. This is not what we've achieved or accomplished already, but what we feel called to lean into and do more of. Um, So there's just a lot of consensus around this. I won't quiz people on our mission statement, uh, but... uh, Today we're just going to focus on the beginning part. As we follow Jesus together, we follow Jesus. He's our Savior. He's our foundation. He's our example. Following Him is what makes us Christians. Following Him together is what makes us a church. And they say, what do we want to be intentional about? Have the gas pedal push down on, really be checking ourselves on. Well, we want to Make sure that we're experiencing the Holy Spirit. Christian churches everywhere believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We want to be intentional about living into the whole of who God is, including the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is God with us, God speaking to us, leading us, guiding us, comforting us, encouraging us. One theologian said that long before the Holy Spirit was an article in the creed, He was a living experience in the church. The Holy Spirit is not a theology point, but the person of God to be welcomed and worshipped and worked with. The Holy Spirit's been moving on the earth with people since Genesis and wants to move and work here with us. So today we're going to talk about the fact that the Holy Spirit is not an extra, but essential, not a formula, but a friend, and there is much, much more for you and me to experience of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray, and then we'll turn to Scripture. Father God, we thank you for the gift of this community, this church, getting to gather together uh, Sundays for to be with each other, to pack backpacks, to share ice cream, to do life together. Jesus, we thank you that we have discovered a life beyond ourselves, that you have saved us and rescued us, Lord God. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are near and close to us, and you want to speak life and breath and encourage us. We do not follow a religion of rules or formulas, but we have you right here on speed dial with us. So, Holy Spirit, would you right now start to prick our hearts, start to encourage us, get us, like, excited this morning that the promise and the potential of life with you, we've just barely even started tapping into it. So this morning we open our hearts to you. 
Would you just energize us and give us anticipation and excitement and capacity? Expand our hearts today, Jesus, to receive the work that you want to do in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. The Holy Spirit, uh, he's not like a problem to a question. Uh, He's a solution for us. We're starting today in the Hebrew Scriptures uh, with a great uh, figure of the faith, Moses. Moses had uh, a number of problems, actually. um, And we're going to check in with him at a point in time where he was pretty burdened and wore down. Maybe some of y'all can understand. I don't think you had quite the burdens and responsibilities that Moses did after he led God's dramatic black ops rescue operation leading the Israelites out of slavery uh, in in Egypt. He had gotten them, well, God had given them, but he had facilitated getting them daily rations straight from heaven and so many people depending on him. And they were angry. They were whining and complaining that they had to eat the same food every day. And God was a little frustrated with it. And Moses was a little frustrated with it. Moses actually said, uh, Numbers 11, What did I do to deserve this? I am in misery. Uh, These people, do I have to be their mommy? Hearing all their whining and kissing their boo-boos, have mercy on me, he says. If this is my job description, I want out. He needs some help. God said, All right. God said, gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk with you there. I will take some of the spirit that is on you, Moses, and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you so that you won't have to carry it alone. So Moses went out and reported the Lord's words to the people. He gathered the 70 elders, stationed them around the tabernacle, and the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was on Moses. So he takes the spirit, divides it up 70 ways. Here we go, out and about. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. They saw things of God. They spoke true, real, high things of God. And this never happened again. Moses did everything right. Purifying, gathering together, the right time, the the right place. This only happened once. God blessed it. Uh, The Spirit rested on a much larger group. After this, they got meat to eat also. Uh, This is a great example of God sharing the the anointing of the Holy Spirit problem solved, right? But wait, there is more. Two men, Eldad and Medad, had stayed behind in the camp. They were elders, uh, but they stayed at home and didn't make it to the tabernacle that Sunday morning. Yet the Spirit rested upon them as well. So they prophesied there, back in the neighborhood. A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? 
I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the, the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. What's the problem? Oh, you think I'm offended? Ha, offended? I wish this was normal. I wish I didn't have to gather everyone together in the tabernacle that I could just walk down the street and hear prophecy being sung from the sidewalks. Moses is like, I think this is great. The Holy Spirit moved, did great things, and with these two dudes on the outside, there's, there's this hint, this clue that as it spread to 70, it's actually trickling out to even more. We're going to read through uh, a whole um, swath of scripture today. More the beginning part. Then the middle. Uh, moving forward to the book of Joel, there's a prophecy that's about way more than just two dudes outside, on the outside. Joel chapter 2. Then after doing all these things, Joel sees what will happen in the spirit. God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, male and female servants alike. Now, the, the part about the Holy Spirit being poured out is kind of normal enough. Uh, in Scripture, we have many promises of the Spirit of God, you know, water filling dry land. What's a little bit more unusual is how specific this is about who. We've seen two guys on the periphery. Uh, now it's everyone, like every everyone, young, old, everyone, male, female, everyone, master, servants, everyone. Like the social order is being obliterated. You know, where are the standards? Where are those orders? It's gone. It's a little scandalous, a lot scandalous maybe. But that's what Joel sees happening. As we move forwards um, to the era of Jesus. Jesus is God with us. God sacrificed for us on the cross. God winning for us in his resurrection. And then the Holy Spirit being poured out on the day that we call Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, uh, all the followers of Jesus who had been through his life with him, uh, many of whom had, you know, had some appearance of him after his resurrection, these guys were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. What looked like uh, flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. <clears throat> the people are like, this is crazy, a little scandalous, a lot scandalous. Peter stands up and tells them, shouts out at them, don't worry, this is exactly what the prophet Joel predicted. When the prophet Joel said, in the last days I will pour out my spirit, upon all people, young and old, men and women. What was promised is now happening. Peter tells everyone about Jesus, and about 3,000 folks start following Jesus. It's good, right? Looking at how Peter says, hey, 
This is what Joel said would happen. Let's take a look at the rest of the book of Acts and see, okay, is this exactly what Joel said would happen? So I went through uh, the book of Acts, uh, not like the whole, whole thing um, for everyone th this week, but I started to tabulate what's promised in Joel and what happens in Acts. So, did sons prophesy? Yep. Did daughters prophesy as we continue the story of the early church in the book of Acts? Yes, there are four women who are said to prophesy. There are sisters, um, all the daughters of one family, uh, Philip the prophet. How about old men dream dreams and young men see visions? Well, that one, a little bit yes and, and no. The only visions recorded, recorded here at least, are by leading men like Peter, Paul, uh, uh, Cornelius. How about female servants? Well, there's one slave girl. Uh, yes, but she's being exploited, and it's a little bit of a complicated story. Uh, male servants, I ran out of time for that one. Sorry, guys. What happens in the rest of Acts is amazing. It, it, it's wonderful. Uh, and listen, four girls. Great. We'll take that here. We're, we're happy with that. I think God actually wants a lot more than four, four girls prophesying to, and, and seeing what God has done. The content and the effect is amazing. Some of the numbers aren't quite so amazing. Was that it? What, what, was that it? Was that the prophecy and the fulfillment of all that, that Joel anticipated there in the book of Acts? No. I don't think it was. No. The fulfillment of all that Joel prophesied and saw, the fulfillment of what Moses wished for, is with us. Acts wasn't all there is. We're it. We're it. It may be a little bit scary, but that's also incredibly exciting and incredibly good news. We are also kind of outsiders. We are not gathered in the tabernacle where Moses has invited us. We are far past the special day uh, of Pentecost. We are in ordinary neighborhoods and a regular church, and the promise of the Holy Spirit is for us. For us. For you, for me, Vineyard Church, I think if we get nothing else this morning, we're it. We're it. Not other people, not better Christians, not the Holy Spirit for important tasks or, or special occasions. We're it. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for us. God doesn't play favorites in time or people or, or era. You know, sometimes when I'm praying for healing and big moves of God and revival to break out on us to see what I know God can do, I'll stop and I'll say, God, it feels a little silly because, I mean, I don't deserve this. I'm, I'm not good enough. Our church isn't like, I mean, but then I'll say, wait a minute. I look around. I see a big opening for the Spirit of God to move around me, in my neighborhood, in our community, in our country, in our high schools. 
with our young people and then I say, you know what, God? Sign me up because I'm willing. I don't see anyone. If other people are going to march ahead and, and we've got the forces filled with spirit-filled folks doing amazing things, I'll hang back. But I don't see that happening. I'm willing. I'm ready. I think that's the invitation for us today. To say, Jesus, I know you're not done. I know there's more. We're willing. Amen? Amen. Moving ahead um, and into a little bit more practical stuff, guys. You know, the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit is a friend. The Holy Spirit is a helper. The Holy Spirit likes us, loves us. I think really he's amazingly easy uh, and cooperative. He's not a problem to be figured out, but he's a friend to be welcomed. Approaching the Holy Spirit as a friend, I think is one of the defining ways that we approach him. I have tried quite a lot to get what I want from the Holy Spirit, to, um, to, to uh, get, get what I want from the Holy Spirit, to make him do this, make him do that. And uh, that's quite frustrating. Uh, infuriating sometimes, like, Holy Spirit, do this, do that. Oh, I know. But going to the Holy Spirit as a friend is the easiest thing I do all day. It is easier than making my morning cup of coffee or driving here. Approaching the Holy Spirit as a friend, he's incredibly cooperative and wants to be with us, wants to come to us. So how do we experience the Holy Spirit? Well, we experience him in love. Since he is a, a friend, he loves us. We approach him in love. We receive him in love. We don't have to say all the right words. We don't have to beg, cajole, plead. We have to be nice to him, open to him, believing the best about him, believing that he's willing and that he's present. Uh, the founder of uh, like the Pentecostal movement of, of recently, William Seymour, he said that Pentecostal power, this moving and more of the Holy Spirit, when you sum it up, is just more of God's love. Pentecostal power is more of God's love. It doesn't, if it does not bring more love, it's simply counterfeit. I think that's so true. The Holy Spirit comes in love. He moves in love. He works in love. We respond in love. And as a friend, we want to listen to him, give him space. We come to him and we let him talk to us because we know that he will. If you're ever with someone and you just, you get quiet and give them a turn to talk, it's because you know that if you just pause and you give them space, they will talk. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. We step back to let him step forwards. We be quiet so that he will speak. So this looks like, practically, some silence. Not a lot of words. There's a time and space for, for praising, for, for uh, intercession, for asking things. But practically, 
Silence is really good with the Holy Spirit. We don't fill up the empty space with our own words. We step back and we let the Holy Spirit speak. Practically, it looks like humility and openness, not demanding or controlling. Coming to the Holy Spirit as a friend and saying, what do you want to do? We're open. We're surrendered. And give this advice to uh, my young kids. Huh? How about you ask your friends what they want to do? Come over to play. Ask them what they want to do. Come to the Holy Spirit as a friend, as a guide, as a wise, wise friend, and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? And then also, how we experience the Holy Spirit, there's usually some waiting. Jesus' how-to instructions to the disciples. These were guys who knew him pretty well. His how-to for them before Pentecost was wait, wait and pray. Wait, remain here, remain in Jerusalem. This place is getting a little uncomfortable for you. The, the heat and the tension in this city is a little high. Remain here, wait until you receive my promised Holy Spirit. Being filled by the Holy Spirit typically means a willingness to wait, to linger. We give him space, and we come to him surrendered. How we do this in the vineyard, um, you don't hear long, long prayers. Typically, sometimes you do. But usually it's just simple and short. Come Holy Spirit. Uh, Often folks will open their hands. There's nothing magic about that. It's just a posture where our bodies agree with our spirits, or our bodies help our spirits to be open, available, ready, and waiting. And we just simply open our hearts, open our spirits to our friend. And we say, hello, friend. Hello, helper. What do you want to do? What do you want to speak to me today? It's very simple. It's not complicated. Old and young, male and female, masters and servants can all do it. And doing this is not extra, but we believe that's essential to experiencing what God has for us. Jesus said, uh, Jesus said that once he was in heaven, uh, in the power of his name, in his way of doing things, that we can do greater things than he did in, uh, in John. He tells us that. We hear that verse from Jesus, and we hear Jesus say, you can do greater things than me. And we typically think, oh, Jesus that's so nice. Very sweet of you to say. Nice encouragement, Jesus. We all know that you're the greatest, and we can't do anything like what you do. But friends, Acts proves that this is true. Acts proves that we must do greater things, that there are greater things for us, and that God wants us to do greater things than this. Acts proves to us that there is more. Moses' wish for everyone. Joel's promise for everyone. 
there must be greater things. And factually, greater things have happened. Uh, even in our own little story, uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, quasi-documentary uh, Jesus Revolution. We had a watch party here at the church, and um, it's now streaming on some streaming service. I, I don't know which one. Um, but this documents the the founding of the, the Jesus People Movement. Lonnie Frisbee led into John Wimber and the Vineyard. Thousands of people started to follow Jesus during the, this movement. Uh, they were healings. Lots of young people especially saw visions, experienced God in whole new ways, uh, a new release, uh, closeness uh, with the Holy Spirit. This impacted the larger church, um, worship styles, uh, more relaxed, uh, really has brought us a lot of the contemporary worship we see today, and of course led to our very own vineyard movement. When Jesus said there would be greater things to come, I think of Billy Graham, right in our own little country. Billy Graham, uh, even by conservative estimates, if we round down, about two million people uh, accepted an invitation to follow Jesus at a Billy Graham live event. It's pretty amazing, right? Also, fairly recently, uh, in the 1930s to, to 40s, uh, the East African revival, uh, starting in Rwanda and spread to Uganda, uh, Kenya, Tanzania, and beyond, with a strong emphasis on holiness and repentance, and in the space of about 20 years, the Christian population of East Africa exploded. Uh, Christianity started in Africa within the life of the apostles very early on. But in the space of now uh, less than a hundred years, the continent of Africa went from about 9% Christian to about 50% Christian. And the church in many countries became pervasive, culturally influential, joy-filled, dynamic. Today, if you look at... Um, if you take Christians throughout the whole world and kind of average them out. What would be the average worldwide Christian? The average worldwide Christian would be a charismatic Anglican woman from Africa, many of whom can trace their spiritual roots back to this East African revival, their spiritual history there. I think of the Welsh Revival of 1904 to 1905, which filled churches out into the sidewalks. There was preaching, uh, this picture is from a, a barn that filled out into the fields. Bars and taverns emptied out, uh, and it dramatically changed not just almost every church in the country, but the country uh, it, itself. It spread internationally, this move of God, and influenced many other revivals, including the Great Awakening, in this, this country during this time, theater shows and football matches were canceled because nobody was coming. Football couldn't compete with the presence of God. Uh, there are multiple stories told about the horses in the mines being all confused because they were used to being whipped and abused and beaten, and they no longer were. It changed the whole makeup of the country. Friends, what I've mentioned 
These are not that long ago, nor that far away. Not that long ago, or that far away. I don't see any reason why it can't happen again here and now. Jesus told us we would see greater things. Moses wished for it. Joel prophesied it. Acts gave us a foretaste for it. But the book of Acts is not the finale. It's the first course. What happened in the early church is the start, but it's continuing. You and I, outside the tabernacle, regular old Milford, small Hopkinton, we are called to dream dreams, to see visions. We are the all people. We can claim that. We're all people who the Lord has chosen to pour out his spirit on. We stand in a long uh, God-ordained tradition of experiencing more of the Holy Spirit. We did not make this up. It's not unique to us. The the promise of the Bible uh, that is told uh, in this uh, and what the church is supposed to do, we see other examples uh, in the, the movements, the lessons we learn from, the synergy of the ages, the deep wells of revival are for us. We don't want to shortchange God and relegate him, box him off to one time, one place when he's told us what he has for us. We're going to move into uh, a time of prayer for this soon. Um, But two thoughts from those great outpourings of the Spirit. Uh, In the Welsh Revival, uh, Evan Roberts led the, the Welsh Revival, and he started out with these series of, like, youth meetings. Um, and uh, at one of the, the very first youth meetings uh, that kind of started the whole thing, a young woman uh, stood up, and they had had their whole talk. I'm sure it was good. And she stood up at the end, and she said, I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart. I love Jesus with all my heart. And I don't know, by the way that they tell it, something in that room broke. People wanted the love. They realized they didn't have the love. There was prayer. And her one little statement is, some folks say that that's what started it. I love Jesus. Experiencing more of the Holy Spirit is about love. It's about love. A worship team, if you guys want to come on up. <clears throat> the uh, East African revival um, was led initially by Simon Nisbambi uh, when he sat down with Joe Cook, uh, and they simply just started reading the Bible and praying. Shocking strategy, I know. But as they sat there, reading scripture and praying. Uh, He described an overwhelming experience of the presence of God. As Nisbambi explains it, he gave no special gift. The only special gift is the transforming vision of the risen Jesus himself. Pray for a real conviction of sin, and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit will follow. A transforming vision of the risen Jesus himself.
as we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit. Because it's what God wants for us. Friends, there's more. The Holy Spirit is a friend who wants to be friendly with us today. Who wants to be a good friend to us today. We want to hear Moses' wish. We want to hear the promise told us throughout scriptures. That it is not just for one time and one space to be shut up in the pages of a sacred book, but it's to be experienced and lived and enjoyed for our transformation and for the transformation of the world around us. There is more the Holy Spirit is for us. We're it. And God wants to give us his Holy Spirit. So this morning, um, I want us to pray into that. Um, I want us to receive and accept and see what God will do with faith, maybe with some courage, with openness. Um, So I think what uh, I want us to do, if you're like, you know what, that resonates. I believe that there is more, and it's for us. It's for me. Just stand. Just stand. If you're like, I'll take you up on that, God. There's more. I'll take you up on that, God. This isn't for someone else. I'm not going to delegate my amazing God story. I'm not going to outsource it, memorialize it, museumify it. I want to live it here and now.